This podcast was produced from a webinar. For a more interactive experience with visuals, visit myamericannurse.com forward slash webinars. Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to dive into today's topic of strategies for reducing falls in the ED, a topic I'm sure you're very familiar with. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here and excited to talk about this because fall prevention in the emergency department is really crucial to saving patient lives in addition to all the emergent things that we do. Absolutely. So what we're going to talk about today is to first distinguish between the different types of falls. We're going to discuss human and financial costs of falls. We're going to identify ED-specific risk factors for falls. We're going to discuss evidence-based fall prevention practices and how we can integrate some technology into fall and injury prevention practices. Awesome. Let's dive in. So to start, let's first talk about what are the different types of falls. There are four different types. There are accidental falls, and those are the ones where you tripped over your own feet or you tripped over a hazard that was on the floor or the brake wasn't set on the bed and the bed slid out and you fell. We have unanticipated physiologic falls, and these are falls that are due to physical conditions that we can't be, that can't be predicted. There's nothing we could have done to anticipate that fall, so we can't really screen or put prevention practices into place against those. Then we have anticipated physiologic falls. These are the types of falls that are our bread and butter, and these are the ones we're going to focus most of our conversation on today. Falls that we strive to prevent by identifying those that are at risk and intervening to minimize that risk for these patients. And then the last type of fall, which is a newer type of fall for us, are suspected intentional falls. These are often unpredictable, but in most cases they are preventable. A lot of times these are pa patients that are in the behavioral health space who are falling for secondary gains, such as seeking attention. Oh, interesting. Patient falls are the leading cause of injury death in people 65 years and older. There were over 36,000 adults aged 65 and above who died from fall-related causes and over 3 million emergency department visits recorded for adult patient falls in 2020. Wow. 45% of inpatient hospitalized patients are aged 65 years and older. And guess where those patients are coming into the hospital from? The ED? Of course, from the emergency department. And that means that our patients in the emergency department are at a disproportional risk of death from a fall. And we know that that demographic is going to continue to grow over the next several years. In addition to the human costs, we all face the same issue of reimbursement as the rest of the hospital. If a patient falls in the emergency department that would otherwise have been discharged home, the hospital now has to absorb all that cost. So we've talked about the financial costs of falls, and you can see here that the average cost of an inpatient hospitalization for a fall is over $30,000. And what this adds up to for the national health system is over $50 billion annually. So falls really do have a high cost financially, and we also know that they have a physical and emotional cost to the patient. That makes sense. So if the patient falls and is seriously injured, they could have mobility issues, they could face some type of depression, or they could even die. And that's a real, a real cost uh, for a physical and emotional cost for these patients. And anytime there's a fall, there's also a ripple effect. We see the length of stay increase and overall costs increase because of additional testing and evaluation and treatment that we have to do now. And I think lastly, the important piece to consider is the cost on us, the cost on our coworkers and our team members in the emergency department. We're such a close-knit group in the ED and falls can even take a toll on the strongest team members. I imagine that many of us have had a patient fall at some point in our career. It's really vital to have the support of our team members and our nurse leaders to recognize that what can we do to prevent that fall from happening again, and how can we make sure that if there is a fall, that these patients are not injured. 
Zach, could you tell us more about how teams in the ED and facilities can work together and strategies they could implement to help prevent falls? Of course. Our commitment as a clinician is to first do no harm. We have to keep patients safe from the first moment they enter our care into the emergency department. And as we talked about before, the majority of patients that are getting to the inpatient floors are coming through the emergency department. So it's important that when they come to us, we keep them safe in the emergency department and we have to do accurate fall risk screenings and then we have to put interventions in place in the emergency department. Those are crucial pieces of how we keep patients safe and how we can save lives in our emergency department. As I alluded to before, the emergency department has long been the gateway to the hospital, and that's increasingly so. More and more patients are coming into the hospital through the emergency department. And what that means is a lot of times they're waiting there longer. They're waiting there to transfer to inpatient units. They become boarders in the emergency department. And this means that now emergency departments are being scrutinized and there's an increased focus on accountability for quality measures in the department. So once in the past, measure quality measures such as falls were really an inpatient concern, but they are now more and more becoming concerns of the emergency department. Our screening in the emergency department, our fall risk assessment screening, really sets the tone for the care of the patient throughout the continuum. This includes fall screenings. We have to screen patients for fall risk, so not only can we work to prevent their fall in the emergency department, but we can pass that along to the inpatient team so that they can keep them safe throughout their stay. The last thing we have to consider is for patients who don't have a primary care physician. They don't have other physicians, they don't have other health care, and they're really coming to the ED as a last resort for treatment. We want to make sure that if we're discharging that patient home, that we keep them safe while they're with us, of course, but we also give them really great education on their way out so that they can hopefully prevent a serious fall at home and prevent them from needing to come back into the hospital. That makes sense. So why do we care about falls in the emergency department? when we have really big emergencies to deal with. We have STEMI patients and stroke patients and trauma patients. So why do we care about falls? Well, what we could see is that falls in the emergency department result in moderate injury more often than falls in other locations. So if you fall in the emergency department, you're more likely to require sutures or steri-strips or skin glue or splinting than you are in other areas of the hospital. And that's really concerning. You know, to be in the emergency department and to recognize that if our patient falls, they're at higher risk for injury, that's really concerning. And we have to do something about that to decrease that risk and make sure that these patients are not falling. But if they do fall, they're not injured. We also know that fall risk assessments are not always completed in the emergency department. And that's likely the reason that a lot of these patients do get injured when they fall. The emergency department is a uniquely hectic space. It's always busy, and we know that. But we'll talk about why the fall risk assessment is really important for us to complete. These are some of the contributing key factors to falls in the emergency department. We see that a lot of these have to do with things that are unique to the emergency department, alcohol intoxication and altered mental status. We see a lot of those patients coming through the emergency department. When we look at uh, toileting, just consider that the inpatient units have bathrooms typically in the rooms. Um, in the emergency department, we don't have that. So that makes it uh, even more difficult to toilet these patients in the emergency department. We also deal with a lot of patients with illicit drugs. and. That can be very challenging, not only from a workplace violence and injury perspective, but also keeping the patient safe and keeping them from falling. And these are challenges that we have to find ways to focus on in order to decrease falls in the emergency department. Zach, what are some strategies or processes that facilities can implement to help prevent falls? That's a great question. 
there's really two main things that we have to do. We have to do an accurate assessment of risk, and then we have to put in some prevention strategies. Those two things are going to allow us to create an ED fall prevention pathway. What's really important is that while we're all focused on decreasing left without being seen and working on our sepsis initiatives and stroke initiatives and trauma care and all these other things, fall prevention also has to be held to that same regard. When we look at developing fall prevention pathways, we also should include the staff. Anytime we have the ability to include the staff in projects, it allows them to be more engaged and allows them to buy into that process a lot easier. So when we're talking about implementing fall prevention pathways here in a moment, it's important that the staff are engaged and involved so that they can also feel comfortable to do those things that we're gonna ask them to do here shortly. That makes sense. Okay, so we get why we need to assess for fall risk, but the ED is not an inpatient unit. So if you're asking me as an ED nurse to do this big long ED assessment, it's not going to happen, you know, it's just not. We don't have time to spend several minutes on this really in-depth assessment. We have to make sure that anything we do in the emergency department is tailored to us. It has to be quick, it has to be accurate. We have to be able to do it without impeding the rest of the care for the patient. Inpatient risk assessment tools are often not relevant. They focus on too many things that are outside of the ED's scope of care. A lot of times they over or underestimate fall risk. They don't take into, into account the unique characteristics of the emergency department and they're often time consuming and just not feasible to happen in our hectic environment. So that's why it's really important that we have some ED specific tools. Okay. For fall risk assessment to work in the emergency department, just to summarize, it must be fast, it must be ED specific, it has to include toxication and sedation factors because we do see a lot of those patients. It has to allow for nursing judgment, not, but not be exclusively reliant on it. And we also have to be able to do an accurate reassessment with changes in patient condition, or if we administer sedation medications or whatever the case may be, we have to be able to reassess it quickly. So what do good practical fall risk mitigation tactics look like in the ED? There's really three main things. The first is hourly rounding, and we can talk a little bit later about what that means. We can do uh, fall risk icons, such as a falling star on the outside of the door. And then we should do fall bundles, whether that includes a colored bracelet or colored non-slip socks or stretcher alarms, whatever those bundles are, those are the three big mitigation tactics that we can use to decrease falls. Interesting. So what is the path to emergency department fall prevention? First, we have to implement the two-step process. We have to use an ED-specific fall risk assessment tool, and then we also need to use ED prevention bundles, including hourly rounding, which we mentioned just a moment ago. Could you elaborate a little bit on what hourly rounding looks like? Yeah, that's a great question. Hourly rounding is very easy. It could be done by nurses, it could be done by nurse aides, patient care technicians, it could be done by volunteers, or anybody that you have available in the emergency department. Really, when we do hourly rounding, we should focus on four things whether the patient is in any pain, whether the patient has all their personal belongings with them, whether the patient needs to use the toilet, and then whether they're in a comfortable position in bed. Because a lot of times a patient is trying to address one of those four things when they attempt to get out of bed, and that leads to the fall. So if we can preactively and preemptively address those four things for the patient anytime we round every hour on them, it's going to decrease their need to try to get out of the bed, which is really gonna keep them safe. Great point. The next two things are really creating a culture of fall prevention in the emergency department. So when we pull the staff in to develop these fall prevention practices, we are engaging them to build this culture. What does fall prevention look like to them and how do they feel that they can remain consistent with the practices that we recommend putting in place? The last is that we have to encourage effort and support by nursing leadership. 
Anytime we're making big process changes or we're looking to buy new equipment or to have things that keep patients safer, it's really important for us to make sure that our nursing leadership is supportive of it so that they can keep policies in line with everything that we're doing and make sure that our patients are remaining safe. So Zach, you had mentioned fall risk assessment tools used in the ED. Could you elaborate on what those tools look like and how facilities go about knowing which one to use? Those are great questions. And there's a few different examples of emergency department fall risk assessment tools. First, we have the Kinder One and the Conley tools. These are two emergency department specific fall assessment tools. They're more to the point than the inpatient tools. They have simple yes or no answers. And we can do this in triage, which is really early in the patient's emergency department encounter. Some of the screening questions that, included, that are included in these two examples are history of a fall, altered mental status, impaired mobility, dizziness, and then whether they have any toileting issues. And once you go through those five or six questions and you answer yes or no, it tells you whether this patient is at high risk for fall. The last we have is the Hester Davis scale. This is validated in partnership with LAMC at Kaiser and UAMS, which are both huge, busy emergency departments. They're level one trauma centers. And once we complete this tool or any of the tools, we have to make sure that we're mitigating risk in the emergency department different than what we would do on an inpatient unit. We have to focus on ident identifying these patients that are at fall risks and keep them safe from falling while they're with us in order to bridge them to the inpatient stay or to bridge them to home. You had mentioned fall prevention bundles. Could you talk us through what an example of a bundle could look like for a facility? For sure, that's a great question. When we look at fall prevention bundles, there, is, there are numerous things that you can pick from. But just as an example, we have a few things up here. Some of the really important ones, I think, are the visual cues. Anytime we have the option to use a visual cue for a patient, that allows everybody, whether they're clinical or not clinical, to recognize that this patient's a fall risk. So if we do this assessment in triage because it's really quick, we can do it there, and then we don't have any rooms and that patient has to go back to the waiting room, um, if they're a fall risk, we want registration to know that. We want security to know that. We want the volunteers or people rounding in the waiting room to know that. So any visual cues that we can do, whether that's the wristband or the socks um, or a marking on their wheelchair, whatever it is, that's really important. Some other things that are really important as well is to keep the stretcher low. Anytime we are not actively caring for a patient, the stretcher should be low, the side rails should be up, and that compliance to to good stretcher configuration can make a difference between that patient falling out of bed and staying safe in the bed. Non-skid socks are another great option. Some of the facilities that I'm aware of use different colors. So they have gray socks for no fall risk, yellow socks for high fall risk, and I've even seen ones that use red socks if the patient's a high fall risk and on anticoagulation, just so we're a little bit extra careful with those patients. Okay. So there's a lot, of different, uh, a lot of different options, but it's really important that we create a personalized plan for each patient. Anytime we have the ability to personalize the care we provide, that's really key to making sure that it's safe and it's effective for our patients. That makes sense. When we look at integrating technology into the emergency department fall prevention strategies, we have to consider that utilizing technology to help digitize our process has the potential to increase standardization and efficiency of our clinical workflows. It helps us reduce errors and it helps us reduce costs across all of the healthcare settings. So consider the ability for an electronic health record to analyze the patient's chief complaint, the vital signs, the medications, their recent encounters, and any of their health data, and then automatically determine an initial fall risk. Once it does that, it can suggest evidence-based interventions as part of a best practice advisory. That significant ability to integrate technology and to standardize can be really important for making sure that the care we provide is consistent 
no matter what staff is on, what providers are on, or who's working in the emergency department. And that is really gonna allow us to make sure that these patients are kept safe. Standardizing technology is also important when we consider the need for float staff. So in the post-pandemic world, staffing has been challenging. It was challenging before, it's even more challenging now. A lot of healthcare systems have done internal agency or internal staffing teams or whatever they call it. And anytime we have the ability to standardize between system, within the system or even outside of the system, it allows those float staff to feel more comfortable anytime they're at one of those facilities so that they can know that they're doing the same practice no matter where they go, they're using the same ED fall prevention strategies, and they're using the same risk assessments. It's important that any of the float staff, when they float amongst the hospitals, can feel comfortable no matter which facility they're in. Right, and also I feel like decreasing that knowledge gap that's there when, it, when the facility is standardized. Yeah, that's for sure. So stretcher technology has to be considered one of the primary pieces of a multifaceted approach to fall prevention. Anytime we can integrate patient movement monitoring, bed exit alarms, and patient motion lockouts, those are great ways to keep patients safe, and stretchers can do that. Another way to enhance patient safety is to use proper positioning while on the stretcher. So the side rails should be up, as we mentioned before. They provide physical barriers for patients that are a high fall risk. The brake should be set, the uh, proper exit alarm zone should be activated, and the stretcher should be at a low height. When we integrate these technologies into the stretcher, it really allows us to utilize fall prevention strategy that's at the fingertips of the care, the care team. So it's not, I need to go to the storeroom and I need to get this thing off of the supply card and bring it to the room and hook this up and replace the batteries and all these other things that I need to do with other systems. The stretcher alarm is right there at your fingertip. And these integrated technologies make it a lot easier for staff to be compliant to those things that we're asking them to do. So what are some barriers to stretcher technology? So if we have variations in stretcher functionality, that can be a barrier. So we've talked about the float staff. So if at one facility they use this type of stretcher at another facility they use a different one and there's four or five different stretcher options, that could become really hard to standardize their level of competence with those devices. And in some facilities, you may even have different types of stretchers within the facility, and that could be really hard for transporters and for radiology and for anybody else that's moving these patients around in the, in the hospital. That makes me think of like travel nurses and onboarding new nurses when there is a difference in stretchers, that education and that onboarding process probably takes a little bit longer than if the facility was completely standardized. Yeah, that's a great point because it's it's like if I have one stretcher here that has a bed alarm on it, that's great. But if I happen to have a stretcher that doesn't have that, now what's the backup process for keeping this patient safe with a bed alarm? So standardization is really important. Anytime that the staff are expected to use a piece of equipment, they have to know how and when to utilize that technology. So we need to make doing the right thing easy for them. Anytime we have the ability to put policies in place and procedures that make things easier for staff, it helps them be more compliant. And in this case, it's gonna help keep the patient safer. The last thing that can, can be a barrier that the facilities need to work on is how do we make the process for fixing the equipment easy? So if I come up to a stretcher as a nurse and something is broken on it, if I don't really know how to get it fixed, I might tell the charge nurse or tell somebody else, but who knows whether that's ever gonna get completed. If the process to get it repaired or submitted to maintenance to get it repaired is an easy process, then I think we can trust that those, rep those repairs will be done in a much more timely fashion. Yeah. Another important factor is bed exit alarm technology. So bed exit alarms are used and dependent upon as a common resource that clinicians can rely heavily on when protecting our patients from falls while they're in bed. 
These alarms can warn both medical staff that a patient's attempting to leave the bed, and it can remind patients to call for assistance instead of leaving the bed themselves. So if I'm a patient and I'm in the bed and I'm starting to shimmy out of the bed somewhere and the alarm starts going off, that's a nice audible reminder like, hey, I need to get back into bed, hit my call light, and wait for somebody to come in and help me. New bed exit alarms can cater to the care needs of each patient. So some technology allows for multiple zones of sensitivity depending on those unique needs, and this flexibility can reduce alarm fatigue. If every time the patient squirmed in bed just to reposition themselves, the alarm went off, we would have a lot of alarm fatigue. So sensitivity is really important and having multiple zones as options is really important for us. We also wanna make sure that the alarm has a visual setting so that if, you're, if an alarm's going off and you can hear it, you can easily glance down the hallway or toward a bunch of rooms and you can kind of see that alarm flashing in the hallway. Zach, have you seen any facilities that have successfully integrated stretcher technology, bed exit alarm technology into their facility? Yes. One of the big things about emergency departments is how do we share quality and process improvement initiatives? Anytime we have the ability to share those things throughout our community, it's really important for us. So we'll take a look at one of those emergency departments that did a study and sort of what their outcomes were. So WakeMed Health is kind enough to share their results of their quality improvement project. They are a level one trauma center. They see almost 90,000 patients a year. And in the two years prior to the project, they had 62 falls a year with 15% of those being falls with injury. And that's a really high percentage. We talked about how falls in the emergency department typically lead to moderate injury more often than in other departments. And 15% of falls having, a, having an injury is a really high number. So what they did is they developed a task force, they completed an ED gap analysis and a retrospective review. They developed a comprehensive falls program that included an ED specific fall assessment tool, remote video monitoring, stretcher alarms, and then they really embraced that patient safety culture with their staff. And in a two year period, they saw a decrease of 27% in adult patient falls and a 66% decrease in falls with injury. And decreasing falls with injury is huge. So yes, we wanna decrease falls. There are some falls that are unanticipated that we've talked about before. But if, we, if they fall and we can prevent them from having an injury, that's really ideal. Some other findings that they had is that many falls could be prevented with increased staff knowledge, better patient screening, and the use of resources they already had available. So implementing technologies that included a stretcher alarm definitely helped create a sustainable fall prevention program. Their initial investment to purchase stretchers with exit alarms contributed to significant savings due to reduced falls and falls with injury, and even greater savings because they reduced the need for sitters and other personnel. So we're gonna to pause to do a knowledge check with our viewers. How many adults over the age of 65 died from a fall in 2020? The answer is D, over 36,000. What is the average cost of a fall-related hospitalization?
The answer is C, over 30,000. And what is the National Health System's annual cost for falls? And the answer is C, over 50 billion. We know that in the emergency department, our focus is on emergently saving lives. There might be some unique barriers to prevention in this environment, such as unstable patients, the lack of time and staffing, lack of equipment and supplies. But if we focus on fall prevention as a responsibility as caregivers and nurses, then we can do what we said in the beginning of the discussion. We can keep patients safe from the first moment they enter our care. Thank you. And thank you, Zach, for your time and expertise and insight into today's topic. With that, we'll transition to the live Q&A with the audience. Thank you, Kristen, and thank you, Zach, for all that great information. My name is Julie Cullen. I'm the Managing Editor of American Nurse Journal. And as Kristen mentioned, we have some time for questions, so let's just get started. Uh, the first question for you, Zach, is um, do you have any recommendations on effective ways to educate staff on the importance of bed exit alarms and how to respond to them appropriately? Thanks, Julie. Educating staff on the importance of bed alarms and how to respond to them is really crucial for patient safety. I think that initial training is probably the most comprehensive thing that needs to be done for the staff, really once they're hired into the organization. Any kind of training that we can provide them on the bed exit alarms or fall prevention strategies is really key to initiating them into the care of patients. They also need hands-on practice Anytime we can provide hands-on training and simulations um, gives the staff the comfortability to continue to do that, you know, taking care of live patients. And then the last thing is that we also need to make sure we're providing refreshers. So anytime a staff member gets onboarded into an organization, there's a lot of education they receive. There's a lot of modules that are done in the online learning system. And sometimes it's information overload. We have to make sure that we provide regular refreshers and updates anytime we can uh, throughout the day, whether that's at huddles or staff meetings or quarterly or whatever the case is at the organization, those regular refreshers are really important. So those three things I think are great ways to um, make sure that we're educating the staff on the importance of metal ones. Thanks. Um, here's another question coming in. Considering the fast paced and often unpredictable nature of the ED, and that's certainly an understatement, how do you envision balancing fall prevention protocols and timely patient care? Okay, so how do we balance fall prevention protocols and timely patient care? One of the biggest things is to make it easy for the staff to do the right thing. How can we streamline the workflow for fall prevention into the everyday workflow in the emergency department? It's already hectic and chaotic enough. We don't have to add a lot of extra work to do the right thing. So how can we make doing the right thing very easy? 
Anytime we have the ability to involve our multidisciplinary team in the ED, that's a really great opportunity as well. We can involve the technicians, we can involve the paramedics, we can involve case management, social work, pharmacy, physicians, advanced practice providers, whoever we have in our emergency room, they can really uh, help us figure this out, you know, figure out how we can balance these two things. And then as always in the ED, we have to be flexible and we have to be adaptable. Everything we do all day long is flexibility and adaptability, and that's the same for this. So while something may look great in protocol or in process or in policy, we have to make sure that it's flexible enough to allow us to do the right thing for the patient, to keep the patient safe. Um, and, I, and I think those three things are really important for us as we balance fall prevention and timely patient care. Okay, that kind of flows into this next question. How can emergency departments overcome potential challenges when implementing new practices and technologies for fall prevention? Okay, potential challenges are really hard in the emergency department, no matter what department you're in. Anything that we try to implement, it's a long process. You have to have leadership buy-in, and that's probably the biggest thing. Once you have the leadership buy-in, um, I think that the staff can then feel comfortable in trusting their leader, at least I hope they feel comfortable trusting their leader to make sure that this is the right decision and uh, new practice for their department. In order to do this though, I think the departments need to do a needs assessment. They need to understand the specific fall risks to their emergency department. Not every emergency department's the same. Not everything's laid out the same, equipment's not in the same place. So each department needs to do some level of a needs assessment to understand the specifics about their department. Anytime we have the ability to um, engage patients is also really great. So whether your hospital has a patient family advisory council or something similar to that, those are great opportunities to get the patient's perspective of what they think would work from the patient uh, patient side of, thing, side of things. So when we implement new practices and technologies, as long as we're keeping the patient at the center of care and we're tailoring our interventions specific to each of the patients, uh, that's a great way to overcome that potential challenge. Thank you. Um, do you see any emerging technological trends on the horizon that could further enhance fall prevention in the ED? Yeah, I think there's two really big ones. One is telemedicine and remote monitoring. So the ability to have a camera in the room and uh, somebody remotely can monitor the patient, provide them prompts to keep them in bed or sound an audible alarm that alerts staff that they need to go to that room. Um, that's a really great one. And then stretcher technology. Anytime we have ability to use a stretcher that has bed exit alarm technology and patient motion lockouts, those will indefinitely keep patients safer. And going back to the challenges um, question earlier, how can hospital leaders make sure new strategies for managing those challenges actually stick? Okay, yeah, we talked about how leadership has to have buy-in and the staff have to feel supported by their leadership and trusting their leadership. So we have to lead by example. And as a hospital, you know, as a departmental leader, that's my job is to lead by example. I never ask somebody to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And it's important that we prioritize safety as leaders. The staff at the same time have to be involved. So um, if you're very disconnected from the department, you're disconnected from the workflow from the staff, um, that's even a more a better reason to have that staff involved. When the frontline staff are involved in the development, the implementation, the brainstorming, it allows them to provide input, which is very good input. We can listen to their concerns and we can think about how we can address those. And um, we're able to make more collaborative decisions that way. 
And then, you know, to make them stick, just kind of as I mentioned before, when we can integrate them into the workflow and make it easy to do the right thing, that's the best way to make it stick. So, you know, I try to tell my staff and tell my management team, if the workaround is harder than doing the right thing, we'll, we won't have workarounds. Um, so that, that, and I feel that way about fall prevention as well. Whatever we can do to integrate it into the workflow, whether it's equipment location convenience or, you know, having the supplies and equipment available that you need, whatever those things are, those barriers that are preventing it from happening, get rid of those barriers, get it integrated into the workflow and things will go smoothly from there. So when you're using a fall screening tool, how do you provide personalized care between moderate and high risk for fall patients? Right. We talked a lot about just fall risk patients in general. And I think that whether a patient's moderate risk or fall risk, does it really matter for what we're going to do for those patients? We have to still do a lot of the same things. We have to make sure that the bed rails are up and the uh, the stretcher is low to the ground. We have to make sure that if we have the stretcher alarms that the proper zone is activated. We still have to use all the visually identifying tools. Now, one thing we may consider on a moderate risk patient or a low fall risk patient would be maybe we use the, the bed exit alarm that just alarms us if, they're, if they get out of bed totally. But for a high fall risk patient, maybe we utilize the uh, bed exit alarm that's a little more sensitive and tells us that they're about to get out of bed. And so that's just one way that a dual zone uh, stretcher alarm, a bed exit alarm system is um, able to be used to differentiate between moderate and high risk patients. And it looks like we have time for just one more question, Zach. Um, have you seen any successful measures implemented to, de to decrease falls in the waiting room? Yeah, this is a tricky one. Anytime we have waiting room, you know, all the, all the emergency departments are busy. There's tons of patients in the waiting room. One of the, the biggest things that we did is we have to educate everybody that's in the waiting room about what to look for and who to call. So when we have patients in the waiting room, if patient access and the security officers that are manning the metal detector are the only people out there, then they need to know, like, what should I be looking for to know that this patient's been identified as a fall risk? And if they say, hey, can I use the bathroom? We don't just point them in the right direction. We really notify somebody to come out here and provide them assistance so that they don't fall. So those visual indicators, while they're great to be in the electronic health record, we can see fall risk patients. Those are really only great for clinical staff. We have to think about the non-clinical staff that are not involved in the electronic health record, the volunteers that may be rounding in the waiting room customer service employees or guest associates or whatever you call them in the waiting room, um, the security officers, police officers, those people don't see the electronic health record. So if we can provide the appropriate color socks or a wristband or some visually identifying thing on the patient's wheelchair, for instance, that allows those employees uh, to make sure that they're not giving, you know, the patient directions to like use the bathroom, like I said, uh, without some assistance. And then on the internal side, we have, we have to be able to respond to that. So they need to be able to call somebody and have somebody come out and help. So if they make the call and you don't send anybody out to help, then what good was it identifying that patient as a fall risk? Because we're going to send them off to the waiting room by, or to the bathroom by themselves anyways and, and you know, have the potential to fall. So two different processes there. One, making sure we have a visual identifier for the non-clinical staff as well as the clinical staff. And two, a process in place so that we can provide clinical assistance to those patients. Terrific. Thank you so much, um, Zach. And thank you, audience, for all of your great questions. Um, 
And Kristen, thank you too for your time. Um, and I also wanna thank Stryker for their collaboration with um, American Nurse Journal on today's webinar, um, which will be available on demand. All the attendees today will receive a link to that um, as soon as it, it's available to view. And if you have any additional questions, please contact us at the email you see on the screen. And thank you again, everybody, and enjoy the rest of your day.